Amen. We're going to be in Acts chapter 3 this morning. And as you're turning your Bibles there, I want to take a moment to dismiss our children upstairs for kids crew. This will be for kids who are fourth grade and under. They're going to make their way to the front and then they'll head upstairs with our leaders as they go for a time of teaching, a time of discovery, we'll say. Uh, uh, there's teaching, worship, activity. There's lots of things they do that are pointing them to the Scripture and understanding God's plan, His heart for them. And so we're excited for them to study together. They're also in the book of Acts right now, I believe. And so we're going to be in Acts chapter 3 this morning. We started last week studying through the book of Acts. I, I mentioned to you that we will not be going line by line, as it were, verse by verse. But we are going to be working our way through the book of Acts systematically, following the story of the church as it is born in Acts 1 and 2. We saw that last week with Pentecost. And then this morning we see the the events, the things that happen just after. In Acts chapter 3 and again in Acts chapter 4, we see the works of the disciples as they are as they are sharing the gospel. Now, much of the activity here in these early chapters of Acts is still centered around the city of Jerusalem itself. Eventually, you know, if you've read through Acts or you're familiar with just the structure of the book of Acts, eventually we're going to move beyond Acts, I mean, move beyond Jerusalem, I should say, into the surrounding area, the surrounding region. We see the gospel begin to flourish and spread. It's the work of the earliest Uh, missionaries as we think of them, Paul and Barnabas, but even much more so, the key figure in the book of Acts will be the Holy Spirit. Last week we saw where the Holy Spirit fell at that time of Pentecost, that moment of Pentecost. And we talked about how Pentecost itself was just the name, the Greek name for one of the Jewish religious uh, feasts or festivals that they would keep. And so they're festival of the Feast of Weeks in the Hebrew. It was known as Shavuot. In Greek, it became to be known as Pentecost, which means 50th, essentially, because this happens 50 days after the time of Passover. And so it was at Pentecost that the Holy Spirit fell on the disciples and they began to preach the gospel. They went out into the city, into the temple area and the surrounding parts of Jerusalem began to preach the gospel and their numbers Grew And in the days that followed, they continued to preach. They continued to proclaim this message of Jesus. And that's exactly where we're going to pick up this morning in Acts chapter 3. There's a key, though, okay? So there's a key. You'll notice if you're looking at your sermon notes that in in terms of how I've uh, put together the sermon points, the way that I've worded this, you see these words faith in Jesus. Okay, so that's an important thing here. Obviously, this is key. Now, I've mentioned that the key, the key character, the key figure, the key person that I want you to see as we work our way through the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. That everything that we see happening in the book of Acts, everything that we see happening with the spread of the gospel, the advance of the gospel, is the work of the Holy Spirit in the hearts of these early believers, these early Christians. Is The Spirit is working in the church, but it's important that we understand that the Holy Spirit is at work in the, in the hearts, in the lives of those who have faith in Jesus. We're going to read in just a moment from chapter 3, 
verse 1, but I want you to jump over and let's just take a sneak peek at verse 16. Chapter 3, verse 16. So just glance ahead with me to chapter 3, verse 16. And look at this, uh, this, this phrase, faith in his name, faith in Jesus. So we read in 3.16, in his name, by faith in his name. Who is this? Faith in whose name? Faith in Jesus, of course. By faith in his name is made known this, or has, rather has made this man strong, whom you see and know. And the, the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. So it's the faith in Jesus. That's the, the key here. That's the, if you will, that's the, the turning point. It's the, the hinge upon which all of this swings is faith in Jesus. And now the power of the Holy Spirit at work in the lives of these disciples, in the movement of the early church, but it comes through faith in Jesus. And so this morning, as we study our way through Acts 3 and 4, I want us to see how important faith in Jesus is and how faith in Jesus then makes all of these other things happen. You've ever seen one of these courses where they, they set up dominoes and, and, and then they, they, you know, they push a domino and then it knocks down all the other dominoes. These things can be really elaborate and sometimes they're not even literally dominoes, right? Sometimes it's some other kind of you know, thing that they have set up. But, you, but you're familiar with what I'm talking about, right? The basic idea of one domino. We even have a phrase for this, right? You could, you could finish this for me. We call it the domino effect, right? It's the, do, it's the idea that one thing leads to another thing leads to another thing. And so it produces an effect. And what I want you to see in Acts 3 and 4 is a domino effect of sorts, let's call it. That as, as they place their faith in Christ and now they receive the Holy Spirit, things begin to happen. The dominoes begin to fall, so to speak. Certain things happen that we see in the lives of these believers. But I think that it's, it's meant to encourage us that we should seek and see the same kinds of things happening in our lives. Now, I don't mean literally exactly as we see it in the early chapters of Acts, but I do mean in a very real way, uh, the work of the Holy Spirit that is producing something, producing fruit, producing results. It's changing and transforming things in us, just like we see here. And so we want to see that happen and take place in our lives. That's why we want to study what faith in Jesus does as we dig in. So let's go to Acts chapter 3. And the, the first thing I want us to see is this, right? And you just follow the notes here. Faith in Jesus produces vision. Faith in Jesus produces vision. Well, what do I mean when I say vision? Does that mean that with faith in Jesus now we, we see certain things? We see visions? No, I'm not, I'm not talking about visions. I'm not talking about uh, what we might even sometimes refer to as hallucinations. I'm talking just simply about how faith in Jesus gives us new eyes to see. Spiritual eyes, we might even describe it as. Spiritual eyes to see things. So faith in Jesus produces vision. And with that thought in mind, let's, let's look in verse 1, chapter 3, verse 1. Now Peter and John were going up to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a man, lame from birth, was being carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple that is called the Beautiful Gate, to ask alms of those 
entering the temple. I want to pause and let's just offer just a little bit of explanation, some background here. Peter and John were going up to the temple at the ninth hour of prayer. The ninth hour of prayer, there were, there were times throughout the day when they would pray and, and they would gather. And so it was a very a systematic approach to how they would do things. We have this. No, we don't have the ninth hour of prayer, as it were, but we have systems. We have traditions. We have sort of uh, patterns that we follow. We gather together every Sunday morning at 1030 for worship, and we have Bible study on Wednesday nights, and right? So, and that's the same basic thing here. This is a part of the rhythm of how they worshiped. And so at this time of day, they were going into the temple. This would have been a time when, when many people would have come to the temple to gather for prayer. And so there's a man who they would carry and they would place at this gate that was called the Beautiful Gate. Now, the reason that this particular gate has the name the Beautiful Gate, are you ready for this? Is because it was actually a really beautiful gate. It was a, a very pretty, ornate door. It was a large gate to the city that, uh, that had these large bronze-clad doors that, was, that were very ornate. They, it was, and so literally when they were talking about the different entrance points to the city, oh yeah, that's the pretty gate. That's the beautiful gate. That's the one with the really fancy set of doors, right? So that's where they would carry this man and they would set him. And he would go there to ask alms of those entering the temple. Again, giving alms was a key part of their worship. It was a key part of their uh, their traditions that they felt like by giving alms, they were caring for the needy and the poor. And they were, of course, but it was more than just, it was more than just about seeing someone and having pity on them. For them, it was in so many ways an act of worship. This guy, knowing this, is positioned in this place at this gate at And so they've, they've placed their friend here at the beautiful gate at this key moment in time so that he can encounter people. And now Peter and John happen by him. And I, I sort of use that word happen uh, tongue in cheek because we, we come to understand that with what God's doing, this is no just mere coincidence or happenstance, right? Peter and John find this man. Verse 3, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, he asked to receive alms. And Peter directed his gaze at him, as did John, and said, look at us. And he fixed his attention on them, expecting to receive something from them. But Peter said, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. And he took him by the right hand and raised him up. And immediately his feet and ankles were made strong. And leaping up, he stood and began to walk and entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. What a sight that must have been, that he's walking and leaping and, and, and praising. I mean, it, it, certainly it would have gotten uh, the attention of those around him. 
And all the people saw him walking and praising God and recognized him as the one who sat at the beautiful gate of the temple asking for alms. And they were all filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened to him. Okay, now I I mentioned to you that what happens here is that they have faith and that faith gives him vision. So let's connect the dots here on this. We saw that they have trusted in Jesus. Of course, Peter and John trusted in Jesus, right? I mean, they lived with Jesus. They were a part of Jesus' inner circle, even, of his disciples. They, they spent time with him. They were invested in by Jesus who poured into them, who taught them. They saw him do miracles. They themselves have done miracles in his name. So they, they believed in Jesus. They spent time with Jesus. And that, that time that they spent with Jesus changed something in them. There was something that was different. If you could go back to encounter Peter and John when we first find them in the early chapters of the Gospels, this is not the same Peter and John here in Acts. In fact, if you were just to take Luke's Gospel, Luke authored both the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, and and oftentimes they're considered sort of a companion to one another. And so if you were to take Luke's gospel and you go back in Luke's gospel to when you first encounter Peter and John, and now you see Peter and John in Acts chapter 3 and them performing miracles in the name of Jesus, you, you might think to yourself, these are not the same guys. This is not the same Peter and John that that we met before in the story. And when you begin to see that, now you understand how faith changes things in them. So that when Peter and John see this man sitting at the gate of the city, a man that in all likelihood they had passed so many times before, what was different in this moment? Well, the Spirit of God stirred in them somehow, in some way. It's as if they were responding in this moment to the prompting of the Holy Spirit who's directing them to do something. And so whereas normally they might have passed by this man on this particular day, in this particular moment, they see him with fresh eyes. They see him in a different way, in a way that they've never seen before. They see beyond his physical needs, which were many, we come to understand. But they perceive that here's a man with spiritual needs. And they say to themselves, first, I imagine, we may not have the ability to meet his physical, I mean, his, his excuse me, his monetary needs, but we can do something about the spiritual need. We may not be able to, we, we may not be able to like, you know, give this man all the money and silver and gold, the alms that he was asking for. But we have something even better. They had a vision. They had spiritual eyes, let's call it, to see beyond just the moment. Spiritual eyes are so important for us that we would learn to look at life and look at other people and look at our circumstances and look at things through spiritualized through the lens of what God is doing and what God wants to do in in our lives because so much of the time we look at things and we see the physical we see the presenting needs we see things as they are but if we could just learn to see things as they could be through the power of God through the power of Christ through faith at work in our lives then we begin to see things with vision, the kind of vision. There's a, there's a big difference between seeing and having vision. You understand what I'm saying? There's a big difference between then recognizing where things are, but also having spiritual eyes to see what it is that God can do. A big part of what 
I do, a, a, honestly, a, a large part of my role as pastor, as uh, shepherd of, a, of, of a, a flock, a congregation, is to try to lead people to see with spiritual eyes, to see beyond what is in front of us now, to see beyond just the things as we know them, as we understand them, and to see the possibilities of what God can do, what God wants to do. One of the things I pray for for myself regularly, this is on, if, on a regular rotation, if you will, in just my prayer life, is God give me spiritual eyes to see. Help me to see things. Help me not to be limited by the problems that I see. Help me not to be limited by what I think I can do or what I feel like we as a church can do. Lord, give me spiritual eyes to see. How might your life change if the problem that you're facing now, the thing that you're up against, the thing that keeps you up at night, the thing that worries you, the thing that breaks your heart and burdens you, how might it change if you were able somehow to see that with spiritual eyes, to see that with a vision for what it is that God can do, what God wants to do in your situation. Seeing things with spiritual eyes is transformational. So Peter and John here, they see this man with spiritual eyes. And I think it's so, I think it's so powerful what they say to him. Knowing that if they were to, you know, give him silver and gold, that would maybe, that would maybe feed him for a time. But, but knowing that they had something far greater to give, we see that Peter says, I have no silver and gold, but what I do have, I give to you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Raise up and walk. And what, an, what a powerful thing that Peter saw the spiritual need here. He saw the need, there was a physical need for healing, of course, but even the, the healing itself, the physical act of healing him, was really meant to point toward the spiritual need. I shared at our men's breakfast this morning with the men who were gathered for that, that one of the things I've reflected on this past week in studying through this text and meditating on this is that in the, in the New Testament, every time you see Jesus perform a miracle, every time you see Jesus heal someone, he's always encountering, he's always working against some kind of suffering, some kind of hardship, some kind of trouble or difficulty. The miracles themselves are never just miracles for the sake of like, uh, showing off and saying, oh, look what I can do, right? And unless you would challenge me and say, because I've thought on this, right? And you say, well, what about the water into wine at the wedding feast, right? That wasn't, but even in that situation, there was a problem. There was a moment where there was, there was a sake of panic and there was, because of the traditions and the customs of their day, those who were, those who were in charge of the wedding or those who were responsible for the wedding, they sought to, or they were, they were going to receive some kind of, of, of shame or dishonor because of the situation and Jesus solves that problem and fixes the problem of their impending shame and also provides in a way that points beautifully to the power of the gospel. Every time we see Jesus at work, he's encountering some kind of brokenness, some kind of problem, some kind of suffering and pain. And the purpose of that, I think, is meant to point us to something that's greater yet to come. You see, that the, the, 
Power is not just in Jesus' ability to heal or perform great miracles, but the miracles themselves are pointing us to the fact that we serve a God who has power, and someday all the brokenness, all the problem, all the pain, all the suffering in this world, he's going to make it right. He's going to make it new in Jesus, praise God. And even here we see a glimpse of that with this man who is healed. And so they heal him because they have vision. Faith in Jesus gives them vision. It gives them spiritual eyes to see beyond the problems and to see what God can do in this situation. Oh, that we would be a people with spiritual eyes to see. But not only that, we see that faith in Jesus Christ promotes understanding. Okay? Again, consider these are the dominoes. These are the things that are, that are happening here. So first, they have vision. They have new eyes to see things that they couldn't see before. To see things in a way that perhaps before they were blind or at least ignorant toward. And now with this new vision comes a greater level of understanding. Faith in Jesus Christ promotes understanding. Let's keep reading in verse 11, verse 12, chapter 3. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people utterly astonished, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety, we have made him walk? The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. In his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. Now, brothers, I know that you acted in ignorance, as did also your rulers. But what God foretold by the mouth of all the prophets, that as Christ would suffer, he thus fulfilled Repent, therefore, and turn back, that your sins may be blotted out, that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send the Christ appointed for you, Jesus, whom heaven must receive until the time for restoring all the things about which God spoke by the mouth of his holy prophets long ago. Even in this context, we see that that Peter demonstrates an understanding of how all the pieces are working together. And he's preaching here to this audience who have gathered at Solomon's porch or Solomon's portico, as it would have been known, this portion of the temple known as the the porch or the portico of Solomon. And so they've gathered together at Solomon's porch and, and there's a crowd and they're in awe, their mouths are open agape at this man that they knew to be the, the lame man who's now jumping and carrying on. And Peter speaks up and says, do you think that it was by our piety or our, our goodness that somehow this happened? No, this is, this is the same Jesus. The same Jesus that you denied. The same Jesus that you delivered to Pilate to be crucified. This same Jesus and the power of his name, this man has been healed. And he, and he connects the dots. He preaches the gospel to them. The same Jesus who lived, who gave his life, who was resurrected. You see, he's, he's, 
He's connecting the dots. He's putting the pieces together. He's demonstrating a, a deeper level of understanding. And this goes way back even. Because even here we get a glimpse that Peter's connecting it back to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and the fathers and the prophets and those who prophesied and those who have come before. And, and what he's saying is that this didn't just happen today, but God has been at work from the time of Abraham, God has been at work so that we would be delivered through his Christ, through his chosen anointed one, this Jesus whom we knew. And so he's preaching the gospel. He's connecting the dots. He's showing them this deeper level of understanding that comes. I think that when we place our faith in Jesus, we get, we get a front row seat to what it is that God is doing. We get a front row seat to how God is at work in our lives, in our world, in our little circles, our little uh, circumstances, in our situation. And it's so good when we get to see God at work. When we get that, uh, what I'm going to refer to again as a front row seat to what it is that God is doing. It's so powerful and it's so good to be in that season, in that situation. We don't always understand what God is doing. I don't mean to say here that if you have questions or you have doubts or you have worries that somehow you just don't have enough faith in Jesus. That's not the point that I'm making. So hear me say that. But I am saying in a very real way that through faith in Jesus, we, we trust that the pieces fit together. And sometimes we get to see that. Sometimes we see how God is working. And sometimes we see the pieces fitting together and the puzzle and the picture that emerges. And sometimes we don't, frankly. But still, with eyes of faith, with spiritual eyes, with vision and with hearts of understanding, we trust that God is at work in a way that is for his glory and our good. Yes, in this moment, Peter demonstrates, uh, he, he demonstrates understanding, he demonstrates boldness to preach the gospel in this moment. But you can study the life of Peter. You can study, you can keep reading in the chapters to come about Peter. There are a lot of things that Peter doesn't understand. There are a lot of questions, a lot of gaps that aren't filled in for him. But even yet, Peter is willing to trust God and to walk in obedience and to move forward in faith, believing that Jesus is at work just as we see here in this situation. And so he proclaims the gospel. He steps into the moment, knowing that God has brought all of these things about, that he might have the opportunity to proclaim Christ. He steps into the moment, into the, the spotlight, if you will, uh, that this moment provided. And he begins to preach Jesus to them. I asked a moment ago, I asked, how might things be different in your life if you would see things with spiritual eyes? Let me ask another pointed question that's tied to this point. How might things in your life be different if you saw the obstacles as opportunities to proclaim the gospel? How might things be different? I don't mean, okay, I don't mean how might things be different if you understood everything that God was doing and you had it all figured out? Because frankly, if that was the case, you wouldn't be living by faith. I'm not talking about I'm not talking about having all the answers. I'm not talking about knowing everything as though somehow you're God. 
But I'm talking about if you were able to trust God, even with the things that you don't understand, even with the things that you don't know, believing in faith that he's working a plan. And if you would use those obstacles as opportunities, as spotlights, if you will, to shine the light on Jesus, how might that change your situation? It might not change the circumstance itself, but even in your obstacles, there's an opportunity to proclaim Christ. May we be people who see things with eyes of faith, eyes of vision, with a heart of understanding so that we might preach the gospel, we might proclaim the goodness of Jesus even in the midst of difficulty. And then the third point that you can see is that faith in Jesus prompts boldness. It's because of his faith in Jesus, because he understands that God is at work in this moment, in this situation, because Peter was quick to give the credit to Jesus. It wasn't us. It wasn't our piety. It wasn't our spiritual goodness or our power that did this. It was Jesus in us. And it was because Peter had the awareness in that moment to proclaim Jesus, that he, that he has an opportunity now to preach the gospel in a powerful way. And look at what happens. Look at the results of what happens in this situation. Let's jump forward to chapter 4, verse 1. And as they were speaking to people, they're still there, Solomon's porch, same day, same moment, same time, right? This is, they're, they're, this is just the continuation of the same thing. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests And the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them greatly annoyed. That's like putting it mildly, right? Because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus and the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, and the number of the men came to about 5,000. And so, so powerfully is the gospel proclaimed here in this moment because of this one encounter with a lame man who is healed in the name of Jesus. And the spiritual eyes to see what God is doing and the boldness to step into that moment of opportunity that as Peter and John begin to preach and proclaim the gospel, on this day, in this moment, 5,000 men come to faith. Now, there would have likely have been others who heard and believed as well, but this is particularly giving us an, a, a record. And so if you're keeping tally, if you're just kind of keeping tally and you go back to Acts chapter 2, we saw 3,000 who believed in Acts chapter 2. We see another 5,000 that believe here. So now in the course of a few days, 8,000 people. I think that probably counts as revival, don't you? I mean that 8,000 people now in the city of Jerusalem have come to believe because of the boldness and the faith and the witness of these disciples. But let's keep reading. Verse 5. And on the next day, their rulers and elders and scribes gathered together in Jerusalem with Annas the high priest and Caiaphas and John and Alexander and all who were of the high priestly family. And when they had set them in the midst, they inquired, by what power or by what name did you do this? And then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers of the people and elders, if we are being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, 
by what means this man has been healed? Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This is Jesus. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among wind by which we must be saved. And then look at this, verse 13. This is, this is again, one of those pivotal insights. And now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. And they recognized that they had been with Jesus. What was it about Peter and John that made the difference here? Was it, was it their, their great skills of uh, oration and rhetoric? Was it they were, they were phenomenal preachers? Was it that were charismatic leaders? They were, they were wonderful healers? They were, uh, they, what was it about Peter and John? Well, Peter and John would be the first to declare. It's not anything about us. You want to know why we're here? You want to know what brought us here before you? It's, the, it's this Jesus that we preach. This Jesus Christ of Nazareth. The, the stone that the builders rejected. By the way, that's connecting to some language from the prophets that they would have understood. And it was in a way, it was kind of a slap in the face to the religious leaders. The stone that the builders rejected has become the chief stone, the cornerstone. This Jesus whom you crucified, there is salvation in no one else. Now that's bold. You may have to read between the lines a little bit. You may have to, it may be a little bit of a stretch of your understanding of uh, first century uh, history and, and religious tradition to know. But let me just tell you, that's bold. That is bold. This is, this is akin to Peter and John lining up themselves at the hands of a firing squad who have the power to, to end their life in saying, you have no power over us. You can do nothing for us because it's Jesus who brought us to this point. It's Jesus who has given us power. It is Jesus who has given us the authority to heal. It is Jesus who is at work in us. That's boldness. But they go on. They go on to say, this is the name by which men must be saved. And the response of the religious leaders here is so interesting. It's not even what you might expect. You would expect anger. You would expect rage. And we see hints at that. And even in further in 4 and 5, we find that they, they beat them. And we'll deal with some of that next week in the text that we look at. And, 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 they, and they, uh, they, they punished them. And that's, yeah, but... What you might expect was just weeping and gnashing of teeth. And instead, they recognized that they had been with Jesus. They couldn't deny the facts that these men are different. This is not the Peter and John we once saw. There's something different. What's different in these men? They've been with Jesus. Faith in Christ prompts boldness. They go on to do some pretty incredible things. In fact, they even pray further for boldness. I want to give you a bonus point, okay? This is a, a point that is, not in your, that is not in your notes. 
but let me give you one other thing that we see in, in this passage that's, that's pretty powerful as well. It's that faith in Christ propels the gospel. Faith in Jesus Christ propels the gospel. When we place our faith in him, when we believe in what Jesus can do and not just what we can do, when we're living in the power of his name and not just in the power of what we can do, it propels the message of the gospel. Look at verse 23, chapter 4, verse 23. Let me just say first that they, they kept Peter and John for a time and they warned them, if you guys keep going, if you keep preaching this Jesus and you keep stirring up trouble, then we're going to punish you, which was to say we're going to torture you, right? It's, gonna, it's not going to end well for you. Verse 23, and when they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered against your holy name, your servant Jesus, who you anointed, both Herod and Pilate, among the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant your servants to continue to speak your word with boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Now I mentioned to you that the key person in the book of Acts is the Holy Spirit. Don't read Acts and elevate Peter or John or James or Paul. Read Acts and see it through the lens of what the Holy Spirit is doing in the heart of ordinary people when the religious leaders saw John and Peter in this situation, they marveled because they understood these are, these are just regular Joes. These are just uneducated, simple men. How is it that they are able to do these miracles? How is it that they can proclaim and these crowds follow them? Well, the obvious answer is it's the power of God at work. It's His Holy Spirit moving through them. Because when we live by faith in Jesus, it propels the gospel forward. It advances the gospel. When we're willing to pray and be bold and speak up, the gospel advances. Again, a, a, a question to consider. A question that's meant to really get at the heart of the matter. How might some spiritual boldness change your world? How might some spiritual boldness in your heart and your life, some boldness put into action on your part, how might that change the situation that you're in? It may not make the problems go away, but again, if you begin to see the obstacles as opportunities for the gospel to be preached, and then if with boldness you're willing to step into that moment, and when I say preach, you understand, I don't mean coming up here on a Sunday morning and delivering a 
a, 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 a crafted message. I mean, some of you, that may be very well the direction that God's leading you in. But when I say preach the gospel here, I'm just talking about telling others what Jesus has done. Proclaiming what it is that Jesus has done. Sharing that good news. When we live with boldness, things change. The world gets turned upside down. May we be a people who are emboldened by the power of the gospel. Not by the power of Michael or the power of you or the power of First Baptist Church, but by the power of Jesus at work as we proclaim his gospel, his message. Faith in Jesus propels the gospel forward. And so this morning, I want to challenge you to see with spiritual eyes. I want to challenge you to act on a heart of understanding that trusts God. I want, to, I want to challenge you to speak up with boldness to propel, to advance the gospel. But you can't do that unless you first place your faith and your trust in Jesus. It's faith in Christ, faith in Him that changes everything. And so in a moment, we're going to move into a a time of response, a time of invitation. And even as we sing this song, Jesus, keep me near the cross, which is meant to be a a, a plea that we would say, Jesus, I want it to be about you. I want it to be about the cross. I want it to be about the gospel and not about me. Keep me near that message. Keep me there in that place of humility and submission. And even as we sing that, if God's stirring in your heart, I want to encourage you to respond in faith to him today. Our altar will be open, of course, that you could come and kneel here in a time of prayer. Our staff will be here at the front, and we would love to pray with you and counsel you through the decision to trust Christ, to make him the Lord of your life, truly by surrendering your heart and your life to him. If he's moving in that way, faith in Jesus changes everything. Maybe you've trusted Jesus, as I know many in the room have. Today, would you be challenged to have spiritualized through faith in Christ, to have a heart of understanding, to seek boldness, even as we see here that the disciples prayed for boldness. Would you be willing to pray for boldness that you might propel the gospel, that you might advance the gospel as you proclaim the goodness of Jesus? May we follow in the footsteps, as it were, of the disciples here by taking similar actions toward obedience, toward faith in our own lives that we might see a powerful movement of God in our own situation as we trust him. Let's pray together. Lord, we are grateful that you are still at work. The same Holy Spirit that turned the world upside down in Acts is the same Holy Spirit that's in us today. The same Holy Spirit that we know is present in this room at this moment because he's in our hearts and in in us as those who have called on you and trusted in you, Jesus. And so now, through the power of your spirit at work in us, we pray that you would give us spiritual eyes to see. Give us a heart of faith and understanding. Give us boldness as we proclaim the gospel, Jesus. May it be said of us, much as it was said of Peter and John, that they... They knew that they had been with Jesus. 
May your handprint be so obvious on us that it's undeniable. And may we have the boldness to live with faith so that it might be said of us that they've been with Jesus. Move in our hearts now as we respond to your word, we pray.